Again, that's 1 John chapters 2 and 3, verses 28 through 3, 3, and that's page 1211 of the Black Pew Bible. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Well, we're in 1 John, walking through this verse by verse. John has been writing, warning the believers of false teachers who say that they have some special knowledge that makes them elite. And it doesn't really matter since they have this elevated knowledge how they live their lives because what we do in the flesh doesn't really matter. All that's important is the spirit. But John contradicts that and says that morality, obeying God, is really important. We can't disregard sin, nor do we act like that we do not sin. We do sin, and so we confess that sin to a holy God. But also, God, he didn't give us his own son that we could be forgiven for our sin only, but also that we would seek to obey him and not sin. We're Christians. If you're a believer, you sin and you struggle with sin. And we should fight against the flesh and desire to please the Lord. Why is that? Well, we're going to see in today's text. Last week, the readers of this letter were warned about what will take place in the last days. The last days being from the time of Jesus' ascension to his second coming. And so not only were they living in the last days, but we also are living in the last days. There's going to be Antichrist who's going to emerge from the church of all places. And they'll deny the Son. But John teaches them and us that to deny the Son means you don't know the Father. Yeah, people say, well, I just really, I love God, but I'm not real sure about Jesus, if he's the only way to the Father. But John says, no, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. And John is, we've said from the beginning, he makes these uh, a cyclical argument. He keeps coming back to these tests. He's given them tests, a morality test, saying, or, or, or a commandment test. Are you living your life steered by God's commands? Does God's word and his commands given to us in scripture, does it guide your life? So we've seen that in chapter 2. He even commanded them to abide in Christ. And we're going to see the same thing here in our text today. Again, coming back, just cyclical. Is your life steered by God's commands? So why do we, coming back to that, that question, why do we seek to please the Lord? What are our motivations to live righteously? Well, the first we see in chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, Christ's imminent return should motivate the believer to live righteously. 
And what John really saying is, if you don't desire to live righteously, if you don't desire to please the Lord, if that's not on your mind throughout your day, you need to check yourself, check your spiritual pulse. Maybe you don't know the Lord. And again, we said John, it's not he's not hammering people saying, "Wow, well, he's gonna you know this fire and brimstone kind of sermon." This isn't a fire and brimstone kind of letter where he's out to get them. No, it's, it's to be an encouragement to the church. He's given these tests so these believers can, can have assurance that they are saved. They don't have to doubt whether they know the Lord or not. Verse 28, again, he, he, this is a term of endearment. Little children. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. This, this command to abide in Christ is, we've seen it already, it's, it's commanded, this command to abide in Christ is given to protect the believers from these false teachers. But here the readers have, have the coming of Christ looming in the background. So abiding brings with it this wonderful companion, and that's assurance. Abiding Christ so you can have assurance when he comes. We've seen this in John's gospel. To, to abide means to remain. Remain in Jesus like a branch that's attached to a vine. Remain in him. Abiding, what does it look like? Small group leaders, when you meet next week, you can look at other examples. But think about when anxious thoughts crowd your mind. Anybody struggle with anxiety? Yeah, we all do. You struggle with anxiety, but Melanie, but then you think coming to your mind is Scripture. You remember that, that God is big and man is small. And not vice versa, right? God's big and man is small. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's what it means to abide in Christ. Or when we're conversing with maybe a neighbor or a family member or co-worker, and they scoff the idea that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And we share our story, Right? Share a story of how God has saved us, and we try to persuade them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus of Nazareth, who lived and walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and who went to a cross, bore the wrath of sin from the Father on sinners' behalf. And that Savior, that Lamb of God, was put in a grave. And on the third day, He rose so that we could be made right with the Father. That's abiding. That's abiding in Christ. Or when you blow it, you've had a terrible week, you've been in the flesh, and you're bombarded because of your disobedience. You're bombarded with lies that, that God doesn't love you because you're not living worthily. But then you think these truths come to your mind 
God sent Jesus to die for me and he's redeemed me through his blood. There's nothing that can happen in this world that can separate me from the love of God, not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. That's what it means to abide in Christ. And so John tells these folks that he loves, abide. Abide in Christ so that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Jesus coming again. That's an awesome hope for the future, but it's also a powerful motivation for the here and now. Why do we live righteously? Why do we get up in the morning and, and we think, okay, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to obey you today. Why do we do that? Because Jesus is coming back because of Jesus' imminent return. His imminent return means there's nothing that has to happen for Jesus to come. He's coming back. He said, well, preacher, give me a day. We don't know the day, but he's coming back. So when Jesus returns, what's that going to look like for you? Are you going to run? Would you run to him like a run into a loving father? I, I love these ads. They have these ads of, I think there, there's some insurance company. Uh, help me out, some military personnel. It's insurance for military personnel. What is it? USA, yeah, maybe it's that. But it shows these pictures of these these daddies, and they've been deployed for a long time, and they come home and it sees this little child run into their daddy they ain't seen in months or years. Right? Is is that what it's going to look like when Jesus returns for you? Or will we be ashamed and draw back or even try to hide? You think of somebody who hid from the Lord in Scripture? Who? Yeah. Yeah, Jonah. That's good. Anybody else? Adam and Eve. Yeah, that's right. Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. After they rebelled against the Lord. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God, the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When Jesus comes back, there's definitely going to be a separation of sheep and goats. Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a, a great white throne judgment. Sheep and goats will be separated. Those who have a sin debt that hasn't been paid will be judged. They'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity in hell. But those who are redeemed, who've repented and believed in the one who came to pay their sin debt, they'll be with the Lord for all eternity. But will there be some who are saved who are ashamed when Jesus returns? Revelation 22, verse 12. 
Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Jesus is coming back. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Yeah, we're going to stand before the Lord. If you're a believer, you won't be condemned, but could it be that you could be in a state of shame? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 seems to indicate that that is so. John is warning against that. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, we have the rest of that? I'll get it. I'll read it. I'm sorry. I didn't give that to you. Each one's work, see, you, you think when there's a mistake up there, you always think it's them. Never think it's them. It's always my fault, right? Every time. Listen to this. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So it appears there's going to be rewards given, but there's going to be some who maybe be ashamed. And God wants believers to have confidence when Christ returns, not shame. So if Christ came today, what would your reaction be? This is telling of whether we're abiding with Christ or not. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Live righteously. Those who are born again, those who are believers, those who are God's own. Your life will be steered by God's commands. In fact, the new birth precedes new behavior. Danny Aiken, he says, Being born of God has definite and abiding results. Therefore, children of God will grow to look like God their Father. Our practice is proof of our parentage. Think about it. The righteous Savior produces righteous saints. Not perfect. How do we know kids belong to their particular parents? I always say, look at their baby pictures. Look at the baby pictures. I was at the, the gross small group last week. Um, went over there, ate dinner with them, and, and had small group with them, Bo and Melanie's house. They're doing a great job loving their people. And as I was, we were doing Bible study, I, was, I looked at the mantle, and to the left of the mantle, there's a picture of Lydia. And she's, I don't know, how old is she in that picture, Melanie? Do you know? Like eight years old. But I was looking at her going, wow, she really looks like her mama. Really looks like her mom. Yeah. Kids are back in school, and Seth, my son, one of his teachers is a 
a childhood friend of mine. And she sends me uh, a text this week, and it said, your little man is a clone of you, what she said. Think about Anna Grace. Anna Grace, we call her Minnie Jenny. Yeah, you, you see it. Did, did you, you have that picture? Show this picture. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, there you go, man. You know who he belongs to, right? Yeah. We can know that we belong to God because we're his kids. And by the way, we obey him. By the way, we love others. By the way, we continue to trust in the gospel. Are you one of God's kids? Do you look like the Father? Are you imitating the Son? Well, Jesus is returning. We need to live in such a way to be found faithful and not ashamed. That's motivation to live righteously. The second motivation, chapter 3, verse 1, the Father's love should motivate us to live righteously. I mean, we as believers, we know the gospel. We've responded to it. Right? God has rescued us. We who are at enmity with him have had our sin debts removed. The wrath the Father must pour out on sinners was poured out on the Son instead of us. And in God's redemptive plan, he could have made atonement right through the Son. And once we repented, he could have kept us at a distance. He could have communicated to us many, many different ways. But after redeeming us, what did he do? He showed his great love for us by calling us and making us his children. We get to be part of the family of God. That's loving. And we're not just adopted. We think about being adopted. Think about adoption. Adoption is so selfless. It's loving. It's caring. Some of us here have been adopted. You, a child who had no home is given a home and they're loved just as their biological children are loved. I've got a, our teammates overseas. They weren't able to conceive and so they adopted a little boy, Anthony, from Ethiopia. And we just loved that little boy. And as happens oftentimes, they conceived and had two more biological children. But you, know, you think, well, if you adopt them, will you love them any different? No. You don't, even though they don't have the same skin color, they don't look like you, right? You still love them. You're just like your biological children. But God didn't just adopt us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Think about that. He don't just love us and bring us in and, and he's, our, he's our daddy. He don't just do that. No. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he, he brings us into his family, calls us his own. You're my son. But then what does he do? He's committed for you to look like him. He, God is committed to make you and I, believer, to look like him, resemble him. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. 
John writes, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, God causes us to be born again. He seals us by giving himself the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to make us like himself from the inside out. He wants us to be part of his family. Just as we have family resemblances, just like Sammy looks like Brian, he desires, God desires us to have a, his family resemblances. Yeah. We need to be growing into his image. Man, isn't his love wonderful? He loves us, gives us a home, gives us a place at his table, like a family member because we are. But then he says, not only that, I'm going to make you like Jesus. Hmm. And John says, and so we are. Isn't that neat? John includes himself in this deal. And so we are. Yeah, John says, I've been, I've been, I'm called his child too. And he's making me like Jesus too. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Children of God, he writes, I do feel that this is perhaps the greatest weakness of all in the Christian church, that we fail to realize what we are or who we are. If only we realized who we are, then the problem of conduct would almost automatically be solved. The more I read the New Testament, the more I'm impressed by the fact that every appeal for conduct and good living and behavior, God telling us, right, do this, do this, don't do that, is always made in terms of our position. Godly conduct rests on our understanding of our true great position as children of God. That'd be a great text to memorize. In fact, that'll be part of our application. I'll give it to you now. Let's memorize that, that verse, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Isn't that wonderful? You're the Father's kid, and he loves you. The second part of that verse, the reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Now, we have this special thing going on. If you're a Christian, you got this special thing going on, Debbie, with, with God, the Father, the creator of the universe, the holy, righteous, perfect, sovereign God. You have this special relationship because you're his kid. And he's making you like Jesus. And you get that. But the world don't get it. The world doesn't understand this relationship. But Jesus said that would be so. Again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Yeah, the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't accept, doesn't understand Jesus when he, they didn't understand him when he was on earth. When he was in the flesh, they didn't get it, they didn't understand, they didn't accept him. So what makes us think they'll understand our relationship to him now? Yeah, they just won't. That's okay. We're his kids. 
we're being made little by little to be like him. So you have these motivations. First is Christ's imminent return. Jesus coming back. Let's live in such a way that we won't be ashamed when he comes. God loves us as his children. He's made us his own. Given us a home. Given us himself. He seals us with him with the Holy Spirit. And he's committed, promised to make us like him. The third motivation glorification of the saints look at chapter 3 verse 2 this glorification glorification of the saints this is motivation for us to to live righteously beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he he is miss betty our memory is betty stewart she passed away last year babe year before Gracious, time flies, man. Sweet woman. So many of them looking around, seeing faces that knew her. We did church together years ago, and the Lord brought her back to us, and we were able to care for her and love on her for a short time. And she would say all the time, she was sick. She had, a, she had, had cancer. And so she had one lung, and her kidneys failed. She was doing dialysis. So I, I got the privilege of taking her back and forth to dialysis. And she would say, Man, I can't wait to not to have, not to have to worry with this sin, not to fight selfishness and pride. Soon I won't have to worry about that. You know, you know, as believers, we're we're not what we used to be. Praise the Lord, right? If you're visiting with us, we're not like Amen, folks. Joey, he uh, he's our Amen uh, corner, uh, but he's got laryngitis today. Uh, but we're not what we used to be, right? But we're most likely not what we should be now, right? Yeah, everybody says, yeah, I'm not what I should be. But we're definitely not what we're going to be. Woo! That's good stuff right there, huh? When we return, we'll be given these new bodies like his, and we'll be conformed to his image. Anyway, I love our I love this music we play. I'll say this: if you don't like the music we play, um, that's okay. You give me a request what you want us to sing, and if we can, we'll sing it. If we can, we'll sing it. But I love it. We want to sing songs that teach us truth, and we want to sing songs that we'll be able to sing through the week as we're driving to work. Right? Almost home. Isn't that a great song? Almost home. Like that'd be a good one to sing us out the door with. Um, yeah, we're almost home, right? And what will that look like? Philippians chapter three, verse twenty and twenty-one. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're not in this world. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand. That's a given. We we know that. They didn't embrace Christ, and for us, it will be a little little weird, little different. But our citizenship is in heaven, and. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be, to be like his glorious body, that physical body, right? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're going to be given new bodies. You won't have this old sinful nature that you're fighting off all the time. It says, for we will see him as he is. The one... 
on whom we have believed and not seen will now be seen and completely known. We'll be able to understand him. We'll be able to enter into perfect communion with him and to fellowship completely with him. No distractions, no hindrances. None. Now, there's still some mystery there, right? Because it says, what will be has not yet appeared, right? There's a, there's a little bit of mystery there. And we're, we're told that in you know, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Paul, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. That means we don't see everything fully. We're not given all the details, right? But one day we'll see face to face. Now we know in part. Then, right, when Christ returns and all is made right, I shall fully know fully even as I've been fully known. Yeah. But knowing that we're going to be like them, that should motivate us to live like them. And lastly, that leads us to talk about the hope, and they're kind of one and the same. Verse 3, hope motivates us to live righteously. The Apostle Paul, he, he speaks often of hope. John, I think, this, I think this is the only place John speaks of hope, which is interesting. And the hope of the future, that, that's what distinguishes the lost and the saved. If you're lost, if you've yet to repent, you don't know the Lord, living on this planet Earth, it's not very hopeful, especially as you get older, because things don't work like they used to. Talked to a brother this morning. I'm not going to say who did. He's listening now. He'll get a good chuck out of this. He uh, took his son to a trampoline park. Nothing wrong with going to a trampoline park. Unless you're getting older, stay off the trampolines. He laid up in the bed. His, his back's all messed up. Talked to him this morning. He took his child to a trampoline park. <laughs> they say youth is wasted on the young, and there's some truth in that, right? But for us older people, it only gets... Physically, it gets worse, right? <laughs> but for the believer, if you're lost, you don't have a whole lot to look forward to. Retirement, I guess, but a lot of people don't have that. And if you're like me, you're losing money hand over fist if you're looking at your IRA. Make you sad. It could. But believers, it just gets better because we get closer to being like him, closer to being with him, right? And in one sense, our, our sanctification, this is a, a done deal. God's promised it. We know it's going to happen. The work that he began, Philippians 1, 6, right, he will complete. So in one sense, it's, it's done. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He predestined to be conformed to this image of his son. Yeah, that's going to happen. Ephesians chapter 5, it, I've been counseling husband and wives, and so this passage has come up often. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now he's 
speaking of husbands, love your wives. Then he gives an example. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? What did he do? He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Yet we're cleansed as believers by God through the Holy Spirit's use of the word, right? So the work, the sanctification process of us being like God, is, it's a done deal. It's a promise. So in one sense, it's already it's, it's done. But there's another sense that we, we have to be about it. We have to do our part. Stephen Cole, he says, so God's word, speaking of this passage in Ephesians, God's word and his spirit are like the soap and the water. Soap and the water. But we've got to apply it to the dirt of our sin. It's not a works-based thing. Salvation is all of God. But we have a work to do. We have a part to play. Not a part to earn it. But once we're saved, what do we have to do? We have to get after it, right? You remember what we said last week? Lazy, lazy people make terrible Christians. Notice what he says, and, and everyone who, ha, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We have a couple in our church. They love each other very much, very much in love, love each other. But they're separated about an eight-hour drive. She's at school. She has to finish her last semester of college before they can have their Christmas wedding that we're going to have in December. They long to be together, but knowing that they will soon be together, this is having an effect on Jake, right? Because you know what he's doing? Oh, Jake, he's reading about how to be a good husband. And he's praying more diligently, right? Asking God to prepare him, help him be the husband, the leader in his home. Why is he more diligent? Why is he more diligent? Why is he praying more? Why is he reading more? Why is he maybe listening a little better than he used to do? Why? December's going to be here. Right? He's going to be married. They're going to be together. Right? That hope that he has, it's not hope that, you know, I'm hoping it happens. No, it's, it's a done deal. He's an asker. He's given, I'm not a big break-off engagement kind of person. That kind of gets on my nerves. Well, did you give your word or not? But he said he put the ring on her finger. I want to marry you. Will you marry me? He's, and she says yes. And they're, they're committed. And they got a date set. But this hope that December, what day is it? 17th. December 17th is going to be here. You're all invited. It's going to be here, but that hope that it's coming, what does it do? It has an effect on him. It makes him get after it, get things ready. I got to find a washer and dryer. <laughs> I got to find a dining room table, right? Anybody got a microwave? I need a microwave. Anybody getting rid of one? That hope, what's that hope do? It causes him to. get after it. It's purifying. So the hope that we have that Christ is coming, 
that one day we'll be like them. It's purifying. So what do we do? I think I think memorizing th- chapter three verse one would be a great start to applying this text. I think secondly, that purifying ourselves through hope, right? Again, that takes work. Draw near to the Lord, abiding, right? Continually abiding, fighting off the the lies that we sometimes think or believe. Yeah, we have to work. We have to do that part. Thirdly, what, I just ask a question. If Jesus returned today, how would he find you? Would you be ashamed at how you're treating your spouse or your kids? Would you be ashamed at how lately you've been spending your time or your money? How would he find you? Would he find you diligent or just kind of going through the motions? If that's the case, if you would be ashamed, then application for us is repent. Repent. Yeah. When Jimmy Carter was president, he wanted to promote his image. Different day and time, of course. But he wanted to promote his image. And so he, on several occasions, spent the night in normal people's homes. Any of y'all remember that, him doing that? Yeah, some of you. He, he spent the night in just normal people's homes. And, of course, it was a fixed-up deal. He didn't just show up. Can I spend the night, I'm sure, right? But think about that. Some of you are like, well, some of you, I know where you're going. All of, some of you are already thinking, well, if he came to my house. Yeah, share the gospel. Share the gospel. Think about that. If you're having somebody real important come to your house, what are you going to do? You're going to clean up, prepare, get it all ready, do all those things, right? Well, Jesus is coming, right? Let's get our house in order. Let's get our lives in order, right? As Chase mentioned, maybe this week's just been a bad week for you, and you've been, I know here at church, the last three weeks have been the busiest three weeks that I could remember since I've been here. Just something going on all the time, all the time, all the time. And if you're not careful, you just get caught up in doing and checking off the list. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys where I mark off the list and I throw my sticky note. Michael got us some sticky notes, Daniel Morgan, and these sticky notes are like this big. It's like awesome. I'm like, man, these things are great. But at the end of the day, Blake, you do that. At the end of the day, when I'm doing, and I wad that sucker up and throw it in the garbage can, it's like, and I just have a praise the Lord time. Oh, I feel so good, right? I get to go home and I got my list marked off, and that doesn't happen all the time, but I do love that. Been real, real busy. It's like. I mean, you get caught up in living life, and before you know it, man, you're like, man, I haven't been abiding in Christ. I haven't been remaining in the Lord. I'm just kind of in my own strength. And you find yourself aggravated the stupidest things. Look around, I see some of you. You just aggravate the heck out of me sometimes. But most of the time, it's not your fault. It's my fault. Why am I aggravated about things, right? 
because I'm not abiding in the Lord. If Jesus comes back, how's he going to find us? Is he going to find us abiding, ready, or, or ashamed? And maybe you're here, and the fact of Jesus coming back, you have one of two thoughts. Maybe one thought is you could care less you're ready for whatever's coming you know, for lunch. Some of you don't, you don't give a rip. Or maybe you're like, yeah, I, I, I don't even know the Lord. I've never repented. I've never trusted Christ. I've never embraced His grace. I've never, I've never experienced what it means to be, uh, have a relationship with God as Father. I can't say that I'm a part of His family. I haven't experienced that. Well, if either of those situation scenarios are true of you then repent today is the day of salvation repent you're a sinner God's just he's going to condemn all sinners he has to he's just he has to pour out his wrath upon you so when you breathe your last he's going to pour out his wrath upon you for all eternity and that's going to be the right just perfect thing for him to do He's got to do that. So if you're yet to repent and trust Christ, you need to repent. You need to turn from living for yourself, turn from your sinful, wicked ways, and you need to cry out to God, God, I'm a sinner and I'm wrong in every way and I deserve your worst, but I know that Jesus, He came 2,000 years ago and He lived for me. He obeyed the Father for me. But he also died for me. He was resurrected on the third day so I could be made right with God. And God, I want to be made right with you. Forgive me. I want to give my life to you. I'm repenting. I'm trusting Christ, his work that he did on the cross for me, his resurrection power. I want to be a part of my life and I want to live for you. Won't you do that today?